Okay, Judges 15, uh, beginning with verse 14. It says, When he came to Levi, Lehi, excuse me, the Philistines shouted as they met him. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. So the robes that were on his arms were as flax, which is burned with fire. And his bonds dropped from his hands. He, he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. So he reached out and took it and killed a thousand men with it. Then Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I have killed a thousand men. It came about when he had finished speaking that he threw the jawbone from his hands and he named that place Ramoth-Lehi. Then he became very thirsty and he called to the Lord and said, You have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant and now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised. But God split the hollow of the place that is in Lehi, so the water came out of it. When he drank, his strength returned, and he revived. Therefore the name, he named it in Hakor, which is Lehi, to this day. So he judged Israel twenty years in the days of the Philistines. Now, the phrase in verse 14... The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. We saw that in Judges 13.25. We saw it in 14.6, in 14.19, and now in 15.14. It is used more frequently of Samson than it is any other judge. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Remember, this is the case where his people have bound him. They promised not to kill him, but they bound him, and they're going to hand him over to the Philistines. And they have put two new ropes on him and brought him to the Philistines. When the Philistines see him, they are shouting. And the Spirit of the Lord comes on him, and he rips apart those ropes from his hand and he grabs the jawbone of a donkey. Now, remember, if you touch the dead body of an animal, you became unclean. Leviticus 11. He grabs uh, the jawbone of a donkey. Did I say a moment ago the dead jawbone? Of a did I say that? I thought I did, but it'd be hard to grab a living one and use it <laughs> as a weapon. But, but, but Samson's. Yeah, 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 we don't want to take that for granted with him. But anyway, the point is, he's touching a dead body, and but he grabs the jawbone. He is hitting. He kills a thousand Philistines with this. A thousand Philistines using that as his weapon and composes this poem about it. Uh, Samson makes poems and rhymes and riddles several times showing that academically he's smart enough. Spiritually he's not necessarily, but, but academically I think that he is. And, but his poem doesn't mention God, does it? 
He does state later in verse 18 that God has given him deliverance, but that is not mentioned in the poem as he only stresses how I killed a thousand men. And he threw the jawbone um, that uh, the text says, name gives that place a name, but then he calls out to the Lord and says, Lord, you have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant. Now, I've stated before that when a personal pronoun is used separately, it's done for emphasis. And so this is like saying you... You have given your servant a great deliverance. He is acknowledging in verse 15 that this deliverance is by the hand of the Lord. But he asks, shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And the Lord shows him a hollow place in a rock, a hollow place in a rock, and uh, the Bible says water came out of it. Now, this whole series of events, what does it recall to your mind? Exodus 17. Okay, places like Exodus 17, where God provides water out of the midst of the rock. You also see that in Numbers 20 in verses 7 through 13. In a certain sense, what Samson is saying reminds me of the Israelites. What God does for him reminds me of what God did through Moses. So he is exhibiting the attitude of the Israelites and am I now going to die of thirst and fall in the hands of the uncircumcised? You remember how frequently in the book of Exodus, in the book of Numbers, the people complain of hunger and thirst. And uh, the Bible tells us that God gives him uh, water to drink from the midst of the rock. Again, God does provide. God provides for him like he provided in the days of Moses, though Samson seems to have had much of the attitude of complaining, murmuring Israel. But the text says in verse 20, as it will say again at the end of Judges 16, that he judged Israel 20 years. For 20 years, he judges Israel. Okay? What, what do you see here? What thoughts, David? Well, he does acknowledge that the great deliverance came from the hand of the Lord, but the timing of when he did that it's just before he's asking God to do something for him yes and I don't think that's by accident yeah it, it may be that he's acknowledging victory is from God just because he wants to make a further request um, of him yeah could be another thing when he names the place uh, he doesn't mention God in the, in his, in the name. Okay. 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 That's true. Sarah? I want to know where he got the fresh jawbone from. I mean, it, it, part of me is like, 
had it been offered as a sacrifice, or were they like slaughtering donkeys there too? As a, or did he, you know, hey, look, here's a donkey. Excuse me, I need this. And he, yeah, <laughs> kind of thing. Just wondering what. Now that I don't have any insight okay. on, I, I I can tell you, and I do not know this with the Philistine. There were some nations around Israel who would have used them in sacrifice. And so it wouldn't have been uncommon okay. to find bones of them around. Now, that, would that have been the case in Israel? One of the things that archaeologists have noted about Israel sites where they worshipped at a particular altar is the absence of pig bones. They can dig those up, find what kind of bones of those animals. But there were donkeys offered sometimes. I can't remember, Sarah, how frequently that was, but I do know it happened. But anyway, he has this, and he uses it. So Hannah and then Lloyd had questions. Yeah, I've, I've been thinking about the Spirit of the Lord coming on Samson. And last week, we mentioned that that phrase is used of Othniel and Gideon. And it seems mm -hmm. to me in those cases... It's the Spirit of the Lord kind of calling them to do God's work in delivering yes. His people. But in these cases with Samson, he's doing things that don't seem to be right. And so I'm wondering about that. Well, I would say that they fit into God's plan. It's kind of like marrying the Philistine woman in 14.4. Should he have done that from the standpoint of looking at what Scripture says and looking at what God's revealed about Himself, no. But God was using that as a means to bring conflict between Israel and, uh, and uh, the Philistines. I think it's the same kind of thing here, uh, Hannah, that, that I, I don't know if, if this, I, if you can say definitely this is wrong, Though you generally, I mean, it's not just a good rule to go out and kill a thousand people. But again, the Philistines are enemies who shouldn't have been in the land altogether. God's trying to drive them out. But I think you do raise a good point. You do raise a good point that, that a lot of times the Spirit of the Lord coming on him is just an act that gives him physical power and physical strength. But in all of those cases... It is connected somewhat with battle. And Gideon's is the furthest away, and he's calling the army. But it is connected with battle, so it does serve God's purposes to drive out the wicked from the land. Lloyd? So Samson seems to be falling victim to what God was warning about when he, the arrogance and haughtiness when he told Gideon, you only get 300 men, otherwise you'll be too full of yourself. <laughs> and this is what Samson is here because he says, I have killed a thousand men. So he seems yes. to be kind of, you know. If you have too many men, it can um, make you not realize your dependence on God. And if you're too successful as an individual, it can make you forget your dependence on God. I, it, I think there's a, there's a lesson here too, how apt we are to forget our dependence on God to forget our reliance on him. But you're right, Samson was not there crediting the Lord with victory. Now your thoughts are good, Sarah. I want you all to keep those in mind when we go over 16, 1 through 3 in just a second. So, apparently, um, 
the name of the spring means spring of the collar, and I'm assuming that's a play on words of some kind. Um, 18, where he became thirsty and he called to the Lord, and then he ends up naming the little spring in Hakori. Yes, um, and, and that's in verse 19, I believe, uh, that, that he does this. And uh, let me see. I, I I was just it just hit me. I don't know if I know uh, what that name means offhand. I would have to um, look at. But it is okay. Yeah, I've got a note. So it is one calling. It is connected to the word call, kara. Yes, it is, and spring or. Uh, in is a word that can sometimes be translated spring of of calling. So yes, you're right. You're right. He doesn't mention who he calls, but he does remember calling. So. Yes, that's right. He does, in that word, that same word called is used in verse 18 to say he called on the name of the Lord. So that may be the calling because it does use the same word there. And I should have I should have circled that uh, already to call attention to that, but I'll try to do that afterwards. Now look at 16, 1 through 3. Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. And when it was told to to the Gazites, saying, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept silent all that night, saying, Let us wait until the morning light, then we will kill him. Now Samson lay until midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the city gate and the two posts and pulled them up along with the bars. Then he put them on his shoulders and carried them up to the top of the mountain, which is opposite Hebron. So, Samson goes into Gaza and he saw a harlot. Again, Samson seems to act on the basis of what he saw. Just like we saw in chapter 14. He saw a harlot and comes into her. The people of Gaza recognize him. He is a public enemy now. Um, And they see him, they recognize him, they know who he is. And they securely lock the gates of the city. When he doesn't come out by nightfall, they they close the gates, they lock the gates. They said, we'll get him in the morning. There's no way he can get out of here, apparently was the thought. Which is a reasonable thought and true of most people. But he lay until midnight and he pulls up the post along with the bars and put them on his shoulder and carried them away. Now let me ask you a question. What is missing from this account? The Spirit of the Lord. There's no mention of the Spirit of the Lord coming on him like there was. Now, I assume that is still the case. He's not going to do this just in his own strength. But it is interesting to me that there's no mention of that. And maybe that is a picture of Samson growing less and less confident.
conscious of his dependence upon God, of his need of God, of his reliance upon God. It is a very secular account. The Lord is not mentioned at all. He sees a harlot. He goes into her. The men of the city surround the city. He pulls up the post of the city. He pulls up the gate, the post. And these things were designed to be closed to keep enemy armies out and to protect the people. And Samson rips them up from the bottom. And the Bible says in verse in verse 3, he carried them to the top of the mountain which is opposite Hebron. Now, Hebron itself, Hebron or Hebron, is about 35 to 40 miles away. Obviously, the Lord can strengthen him to do this if he can strengthen him to pull up these posts. He could carry it that far. Some focus on, some focus on the fact that he carried them to the top of the mountain opposite Hebron. And I don't know how, and some think just in the direction toward Hebron, because I don't know if there would have been a big value to carrying it all the way in the city. It may, it may have been, it may have been a good uh, picture of God's strength and God's power, but it may be he deposited them closer to there. I don't know if the language directly demands he took the the gates all the way there, though he certainly could have. But I'll tell you what is striking to me. Samson's getting himself into trouble time after time. And God rescues him. I think in a lot of ways, Samson's story is typical of Israel's story. It is a miniature of Israel's story. Over and over, Israel gets themselves into trouble and problems, and God rescues them. What other thoughts do you all have? Right there. Anything? Okay, we'll look for our major account, Delilah. This is the longest sustained account since we've seen the parents promised a child. In verse 4, it came about that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. Now, the Bible does use the word loved here. Uh, some of your versions will have things like fell in love or some kind of notion like that because obviously their relationship is not as deep as it should have been. But, but he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek named Delilah. And, and this is just... Don't, I mean, I know you read things over and over in the Bible. And then all of a sudden you realize, wait, I've taken this for granted. I don't know this for sure. It's never specifically said that she's a Philistine. I take it that she is a Philistine because the leaders of the people feel comfortable to come to her and to offer her this bribe. But I realized in reading this, I've just always kind of taken it for granted. I haven't. It doesn't specifically say that. But... If that is the case, then you have all three of the women Samson becomes involved with 
seem to be Philistines. We know the first woman was. And then in verses 1 through 3, she was as well. And now we have this one, Delilah. In verse in verse 5, the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him and see where his great strength lies and how we may overpower him that we may bind him to afflict him. Then we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Now that's a good bit of silver. If each of these five lords of the Philistines give this to her, this would be over 5,000 pounds. The five major cities of the Philistines. Five major cities of the Philistines are Gaza, Gath, Ekron, Ashdod, very good, and one more. Uh, Ashkelon. Yes, very good. (laughs) And they are mentioned, they're mentioned in 1 Samuel um, 6, 17, and 18. I think it's also Judges 3, verse 3, where they're mentioned, but I know the passage in 1 Samuel 6. But these are their five major cities. Samson is such an international menace that all the lords of these cities are offering her big money to hand him over to us. I think it's safe to say, and this is somewhat sarcastically, but you understand my point, that if you walked into a Philistine post office, there's Samson's picture as the most wanted. But in verse 6... Samson, Delilah said to Samson, who, 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 by the way, she is not bothered by this apparently at all. Doesn't bother her conscience to do this. She said, please tell me what your, where your great strength lies and how you may be bound to afflict you. You tell you, Delilah's not keeping me secrets here. How can you be bound to afflict you? Samson said, if they bind me with seven fresh cords that have not been dry, then I will become weak and be like any other man. The lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh cords that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had been had men lying in wait in the inner room, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the cords as a string of tow snaps when it touches the fire. So his strength was not discovered. So here... Tell me what you can do. What will take away your strength? What's the secret of your strength? How may you be bound to afflict you? He tells her something. Buy me with seven fresh cords. She tries it. When she tries it and he wakes up, she says, the Philistines are here. He breaks them. There's a pattern here. And this pattern is going to keep repeating itself. Verse 10 Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have deceived me and told me lies. Now please tell me how you may be bound. He said to her, If they bind me tightly with new robes which have not been used, then I'll become weak like any other man. So Delilah took the new new robes and bound him with them and said to him, 
The Philistines are upon you, Samson. Through the men were lying in wait in the inner room. He snapped the ropes from his arms like a thread. Now, why do we know at the very start this isn't going to work? Why do we know it's not going to work? And not only do we know the backstory in 13, but what have we seen since then? They tied him with ropes in, in chapter 15, verse 13. And there they are said to be new ropes. Same word that's used here in this passage in verse 11 uh, for, for new ropes. And so we've already seen a demonstration in the text. This isn't going to work. Some of the Philistines should have known that's not going to work. But Delilah tries it, and Delilah says, the Philistines are upon you. Now, what happened after she says the Philistines are upon you and Samson breaks free? Does he escort the Philistines out? Uh, does, do, do, they not, do they just run on their own, not even uh, willing to try to deal with him? In verse 13, Delilah said to Samson, Up till now you have deceived me and told me lies. Tell me how you may be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my hair with the web and fasten it with a pen, then I'll become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his hair, wove them into a web. She fashioned it with a pen and said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled out the pen of the loom and the web. So, a third time, what's the secret of your strength? He gets a little closer now. He's at least mentioning his hair. Now it is hard for me to envision this. First of all, it's hard for me to envision what does he mean by seven locks of his hair. But you weave it all as a part of this loom. And, and at the end when she says the Philistines are upon you, you see simply takes out the pen. Here is a person that should be catching on to the fact <laughs> that this woman doesn't have his best interest at heart. And she's complaining, you've deceived me, you haven't told me the truth. Certainly, Delilah valued honesty in a relationship. You can tell that by the way she's dealing with him. But this is the amazing thing to me, and I really want you to think about this. Why does he do this? In verse, verse 15, she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have deceived me these three times and have not told me where your great strength is. It came about when she pressed him daily. And that word pressed him was used back in chapter 14, verse 17 to talk about his wife pressing him. At the feast, she pressed him so hard that eventually he told his riddle. Now Delilah is pressuring him hard. And it says she pressed him hard with her words and urged him and his soul was annoyed to death. And we mentioned before that that word annoyed in 1616 is used elsewhere in the book only of God 
in chapter 10, verse 16. We talked about the difficulty of interpreting that word when we were in 10.16. Here it is obviously used negatively. She's pressing him. She's annoying him. And in verse 17, he told her all that was in his heart and said to her, A razor has never come on my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. And if I am shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I will become weak and be like any other man. He tells her everything. Tells her everything. And in verse 18, Delilah saw this. I wanted us to keep up with this word Saul. And this is not a deep study of this word all throughout the Samson narratives, but it is a discussion of it here in 16. In verse 1, it was Samson who saw the woman. Now, it is Delilah. It is Delilah who saw that he told her everything. He told her everything. She knows now that this is the truth. She saw that he told her everything that was in her heart. She sent for the Philistines. She said, you come up once more, for he has told me all that is in his heart. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in her hands. She made him sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his hair. Then she began to afflict him and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and he said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. And isn't that one of the saddest statements in the Bible? But why? When she has deceived him, when she has tried to use everything he has told her against him, and he has seen ample evidence of that. He's seen it three times. Why in the world would he tell her everything? I see a lot of references to Samson. And I know what they mean. But, but they call Samson foolish, stupid. And, and by the way, when I was raised, we could use that word. I don't know if, if young people can now, but, but we, we could use that. In some ways, it's hard to explain some things without using that word. <laughs> But when we talk about Samson, that being true, it's not that I think he necessarily would have scored low on an IQ test. But I do think it is a picture of how blinded that we can be by lust and desire. Listen, I have known people that were completely logical, that were completely reasonable, that were completely intellectual in every other area of their life. But when it came to romance, 
all of that went out the window. And that's a temptation for all of us. I really think that that all of us can be vulnerable, or at least in the past, have been vulnerable to something like that. So Samson's case serves as a warning to all of us. And just from a practical standpoint, I would say that this is a good illustration of the fact that if we open ourselves up and we tell all our secrets to someone, that can be used against us. We better make sure that this person that we are revealing everything to cares about us the same way that we might care about them. And Samson wasn't careful to look for that. I can remember one time a person who was now, who at the time she was talking to me, and she still is, she was married. She was a Christian, but she said she lived in the world before. And she said, it was so difficult when I was in the world and you're attracted to a guy and you give yourself to him physically completely and the next day he doesn't give you the time of day. She said that was so painful to experience that. And um, so women are rejected like this sometimes. Men are rejected like this. And um, it's just, it's striking to me how blind Samson is. His his moral blindness will lead to his physical blindness in this area. Now, what what thoughts do you all have there? Sarah? Um, Just the idea of the seven locks would be just seven divisions of his hair. Because if his hair had been growing for however many years, it's going to be long. You've got to do something with it. Okay, okay. So, I mean, almost, In the like, almost like braids or something like that. Would that have covered up to some degree how long his hair really was? Would it have? It would it have, have I mean, when you braid your hair, yeah. it looks shorter. Yeah, I know. It, and so I wondered if that was part of the point of that. Yes. I'm just wondering why this is the command that causes his strength to leave when it seems like he's broken several other Nazarite vows. Yeah, that is a good question. We've talked about the Nazarite vow. And to be a Nazarite, and I hope I spelled that right. If not, don't worry about it. You know what I'm talking about. They were not to go near a dead body. They were not to go near the dead. They were not to... um, grapes or anything from the grapevine. We'll just put grapes as kind of inclusive. Grapes, wine, raisins, anything of that nature and not to cut their hair. Now also it was told to Samson's mother, do not eat anything unclean. Now, Samson has violated all of these. But I do think one of the things, I don't know the final answer to that, but I do think one thing we see 
is that God is so incredibly merciful to Samson just as he was to the whole nation of Israel that it is not till they get to the last part of that vow that they violated that finally then he begins to bring judgment on him. So I I do think, while I don't know the answer to the whys, I do think it shows us God's incredible mercy. And even after he's violated this, God doesn't give up on him completely, does he? And, and again, what does that say? What does that tell us about the nature of God? Sarah? I was going to say, with the hair, wasn't, like, if you were a temporary Nazarite, at the end of the vow, you shaved your hair and you offered it as part of the sacrifice? Yes, you so, did. I mean, in one sense, you may kind of mess up the other things, but if you are deliberately cutting your hair, you're stealing from God, kind of, sort of. In a, in a, in a certain sense, yeah. but, but, you know, all of them, but, but, but remember, too, that if a dead person died near you, you had to cut your hair and you had to start over again. So all of them were very significant. But what you're saying is right. In number six, it was cut off. It was put underneath the sacrifice on the altar. So it was a type of a sacrifice sacrifice to God. That is correct. And and it's just... Um, but God is so gracious to him. But the Philistines seized him. And it says... They gouged out his eyes. The man who said, I saw a woman, his first recorded words, loses his eyes because of his lust for women. And he's made a grinder in prison. We've seen already Abimelech didn't want to die at the, end, at the hands of a woman. People who were grinders in prison, uh, it's generally believed that they were. this was a woman's work. And here is this mighty strong man who we've now reduced to such a low point that he is going to have to grind um, meal in order to, to survive. But the Bible gives us this note in verse 22. However, the hair of his head began to grow again. After it was shaved off. (laughs) The hair of his head began to grow. And this is going to end in a dramatic way, as you know. David? Uh, Several thoughts. Uh, Uh You're saying you didn't know for sure if Delilah was a Philistine. Yes. It does talk about the Valley of Sorek. And the note I have says that is a valley in the land of the Philistines. So that would lend some support to that. Yeah. Another thing, uh, you know, when the first time he, you know, she asks him, says Samson said, if they bind me, and I think that's significant. It's like he knew that the Philistines were trying to find this out. Yeah. And he didn't say, if you bind me. If mm-hmm. they bind me, mm-hmm. uh, in verse 7, and then you get the same thing the second time in verse 11, if yes. they bind me tightly with new ropes. Mm-hmm. You know, that's seven ropes before it was two. Yeah, uh, yes. Uh, uh, but, uh, uh, and both of those times it says that the Philistines, there were men lying in wait. 
The third yes. time when she weaves the, the locks of his hair, it doesn't say that. So it almost looks like the lords of the Philistines, it's like, okay, you know, this has happened twice, you know, don't bother us again until you know for sure. Yeah. And then she does yes, say that, yes, and, and then they came back. That may be right. Let me ask you this, David, because I'm just, does that does your version specifically say it's seven new ropes? Because the seven are used before and after, but I didn't remember it in it, it, Yeah, I guess it doesn't. Okay. I, I sometimes have assumed that too. Yeah. But I was looking I back at this and so I was just wondering it's, but, it says new ropes. Okay. Yes, okay. So I I, I withdraw this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you got precedent for that. I right. did that last week. So, okay. so uh, just just adding on to that, in verse thirteen, you said, "If you weave the seven locks of my hair, as opposed to if they bind right. or they weave." Yes, yes, yeah. that's right. Okay, yeah. and she does have to send and call for them right. in verse eighteen and tell them, "Bring your money." Yeah. Um, and but it, it also ahead. looks like, you know, it says his soul was annoyed to to death, he had gotten so tired of putting up with this, he told her the truth. I think knowing full well, she was going to do that. Yeah. Now, I don't know that he was convinced that the Lord would take his strength. And I don't know if, he's, if, if he ever had a specific warning that that was the case. But, but, but it may be, too, that he is becoming arrogant and he doesn't think any of this is going to hurt him. And uh, therefore, he becomes an illustration to us all. It is, it is interesting to me how often in the Bible you see this concept of God versus false God. And you see it here. In verse 23 and 24, the Philistines regarded this as a religious occasion. The lords of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their God and to rejoice. For they said, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. When the people saw him, they praised God. For they said, Our God has given out into our hand uh, even the destroyer of our country who has laid waste to many. So this is a religious occasion. They are praising Dagon because, because they have defeated Samson. That obviously means our God is stronger than Israel's God, they would have thought. In verse, verse 25, it happened when they were in high spirits that they said, Call for Samson that he may amuse us. So they called Samson from the prison and he entertained them. And they made him stand between the pillars. Then Samson said to the boy who was holding his hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women and all the lords of the Philistines were there. About 3,000 men and women were on the roof looking on while Samson was amusing them. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me just this once, O God, that I may be avenged of the Philistines 
for my two eyes. Here, in verse 28, he calls on Yahweh in the midst of a feast or a celebration praising Dagon. He calls on Yahweh. The Bible says that Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested and braced himself against them, the one on his right, the other on his left. And he said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bent with all his might. So the house fell on the lords and on all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed in his life. Then his brothers and all his father's households came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eskol in the tomb of Manoah his father. Thus he judged Israel for uh, 20 years. Our word Saul, um, the text says uh, in verse, verse 24, when the Philistines saw Samson, they praise God. So Delilah saw, he told him everything. The Philistines see this fallen enemy because Samson continued to disobey God and um, his eyesight has now been taken from him. But anyway, but the, again, this, this temple, I am sure there are some. And I know there are some Philistine temples that have been excavated and some who might be more architecturally minded could probably give a better design of what this temple looked like. But apparently all this, a lot of the support of the house rested upon these two pillars. And Samson knew this. And Samson goes and pushes with all his might. He is calling on the Lord again in verse 28. Though... He's saying he only speaks of himself. The Philistines spoke of our God in verses 23 and 24. Samson keeps saying, remember me, strengthen me, that I may be avenged. And the Bible says that he killed more in his death than in his life. He kills the lords of the Philistines. There were at least 3,000 people there. Were they all killed? I, I, I don't know. Uh, if all were killed, but obviously a large, large number were killed because he's killed plenty in his life. And uh, so we're going to find another contest. By the way, who would you say won this contest? If, if, if your God brings down the temple of the other God, I would say he shows himself as the true God. We're going to find another thing like this in 1 Samuel 5 where Dagon keeps bowing down before the Ark of the Covenant. But remember when they defeat Saul. I don't think the name Dagon is specifically used, but they bring his armor to their temple. You remember that? And they pin it up and the men of Jabesh Gilead go and they bring, they, they bring back his armor and the rest of his decomposing body and they burn it. But don't miss this lesson that Israel's God is the true God. And there, His servants may act foolishly. His servants may act selfishly. But He's the true God. 
He's the one who can deliver. He is the one who rescues his people. And that should have strengthened the people during this time of crisis. I'm, I'm trying to rush to get this, but what I wanted to do is just some comparisons between Samson and Jesus. I may just leave you to to follow the new to get the New Testament passages on your own. But just like we talked about, these are passages from Judges. Samson was bound by his people, just as Jesus was bound. He was betrayed for money, just as Jesus will later be betrayed for a much smaller amount. He was ridiculed in death as they are mocking Samson and making sport of him just like they do Jesus upon the cross. It also is striking to me that the Bible talks about Samson's right hand and left hand in verse 29. And then you see the statement that the deliverance the deliverance in death was a great deliverance. He delivered more in his death than his life, but he brings a great deliverance at the time of his death. All of these tied to Jesus. But there are some differences as well. There are contrasts. Contrast is Samson dies for his own sin. Jesus for ours. And then Samson dies calling for vengeance. Jesus dies saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Luke 23-34 There are probably other points we could think of, but those are some things to leave with you. Thank you, Lord willing, I'm not to be here this Sunday and Wednesday night, but thank you for that. And, and, and um, God bless.